now that resolution season's over, I bet you're breathing a sigh of relief. Dodged that bullet. Or maybe it's regret. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Yeah, I get it. Well, either way, we have some good news for you here today on the Isle of Misfits, and it comes in the form of a single word. Reboot. I bet you want to know more. Okay, then, you know what to do. Keep listening. Well, it's February, so I guess you could say we're past all that resolution bit that comes along with January. And perhaps that is the case, but it's never too late for a good old-fashioned reboot. And that's just what we're here to talk about today with Justin Jones. Now, I know I got all braggy in my last podcast about knowing the author. And I got to say, we're going two for two because not only is Justin the pastor of spiritual formation at Eastern Hills Wesleyan Church in Williamsville, New York, a suburb of Buffalo, uh, who's written other books. He wrote a book called Engage not too long ago. He He's just a man who wears many hats. Um, I promised I wouldn't talk about the fact that he's a millennial, but he's a millennial. So he's all these things, but he's also someone I know personally. I have known personally for a long, good long while now, so I can tell you he's the real deal, my misfit friend. So welcome, my friend Justin, to the oh, Isle of so Misfits. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, as you know, we have had you on the podcast once before, but that, yes, but that was pre-Misfit days. So now, so now you're being exposed to a whole new audience and I'm excited to introduce uh, you to them because I, I know they really are going to be excited about your book, Reboot. Yeah, I'm excited to get to talk to them. So I'm excited to be visited on the island of Misfits, Isle of Misfits. So. <laughs> you are most welcome here. Uh, we, you know, we get visits from all kinds of people all over the world. And uh, the one thing that we really do have in common is that we all need to own who we are, right? Own, own our awkward and, and love our fellow misfits and, and look for truth, right? And beauty wherever we can find it because it's everywhere. For sure. So, all right, so we're going to have fun talking about this book, but before we have fun talking about this book, you might remember, I made you play a stupid game last time before, yeah, and I think it was, yeah, and it, but it was stupid, yes, and it was before I officially dubbed it Stupid Game, but now it has an official name, Stupid Game. Um, so if you remember, I think I quizzed you about being a true Western New Yorker last time. Yeah, that sounds right. And uh, I think the result was that, uh, yes, indeed, you did pass, and you can say that you live in Western New York. So congratulations on that. Thank you. I've worn that as a badge of honor. So. Well, and, and you know, I forgot to send you your badge, so thank you for yeah. the reminder. <laughs> but um, so today's stupid game, we can't do the same game twice. Oh, no, no, no. Um, but um, I'm basing it off of your expertise, and this is this is your own fault, so you have no one to blame but yourself because I happen to know just from knowing you personally, and if I didn't know that, just from reading your book, you're a Mac guy, are you not? I'm a what guy? A Mac guy as opposed to oh, a PC I am guy. A Mac guy, yes. I thought you said math, and I was like, I don't know about that, but <laughs> okay. I'm a Mac guy. Not a math guy, but a Mac guy. So, okay. <laughs> Tried and true, yes. There's no getting around it. That's just who you are, and it's okay. There's no shame in that. True. My whole life, yeah. All right. Okay. So, because of that, I could not resist quizzing you just a little bit on how much of a mac devotee you really are so are you are you ready 
I'm ready. Okay. All right. Some of these may be no-brainers. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. All right. So question number one. When was iPhone introduced to the world? I, I think... I think I heard this recently. I think 2007. I think you're right. Good yeah. job. That's exactly. I, in fact, I am surprised that I know this. I think it was June of 2007. And I only know this because I know somebody who's like, you know, super has to be first in line to get all the new high tech gadget thingies. And I think he had them before, you know, before the president did at the time. So, okay. So, yes, you are right. So, question number one, you've answered correctly. All right. Question number two. And I'm going to give you like a margin of error within 10,000. Uh, 10,000 being people. How many employees does Apple have worldwide right now? Oh, I'll, I'll throw out 120,000. Ooh, you know, that probably will be true tomorrow. Um, but as, <laughs> and I probably should have checked the date on the little uh, source that I looked up. Um, it was Mac, it was from macworld.co.uk, so it must be legit. It was 20 surprising Apple facts. Um, as of the writing of that article, it was 92,000 employees. Oh, but that's a lot. That's that, a lot. That is a lot of employees, and it's only growing, so. All right, that's okay. You, you were close. You were within 30,000. Okay, question number three. True or false, Apple has twice as much cash as the U.S. Treasury. Uh, true. That is true, and that's a little frightening when you think about it. It's terrifying, right? Yeah. Yes. So we don't need to go to China. Just go to Apple and uh, get some loans from them. So cause what could possibly go wrong? You're doing really well. You're two-thirds. Okay, let's go for three-fourths. Okay, question number four. Why is Apple named Apple? And I'll even give you multiple choice to increase okay. your chances. All right, is it because, A, the Beatles and Apple Records, duh? Is it, B, because Steve Jobs... Jobs, yeah. Let's try that again. Steve Jobs. See, Bible girl here. Steve Jobs loved apples, or C, Orange already had a copyright. Uh, orange already had a I, I guess it's C. Um, no, actually, Steve Job, Jobs. I did it again. Steve Jobs. Orange, oh, Orange yes. already had a copyright. Yes, yes, yes. So you know. All right, I'm going to just give you that one by default. Yeah, Steve Jobs, he just, he loved apples, and uh, apparently at the time he was what you would call a fruitarian, meaning he only ate fruit. I don't know if that continued, but it was, it is a thing. Yes, it was a thing, and he made it a thing, so... And he was a trendsetter. So. I know there's all these like conspiracy theories about it, and I knew I'd heard the story about how he decided at one time or something. But yeah, that's okay. I'm gonna give that one to you. Same with the orange. Yeah. Yeah, I was trying to say, or the you know the. Yeah, I get. It. Yeah, yeah I totally you got get it. it. Yeah. Okay. I totally missed that. Okay, and I and I my delivery was off. So all right, moving right along. All right, um, we'll do one more, maybe a bonus. Okay, this is another true or false. Okay. Um, this is good. This is actually you can call up your uh, days of days at uh, your seminary days for this. Okay. True or false? The bite taken out of the Apple logo is a biblical reference. False. You sure? You sound sure. How do you know? I, I feel like I read something somewhere where it wasn't actually for that, even though it seems like it would be. It does seem that way. Well, maybe you know something yeah. I don't know. No, I don't know anything you don't know. I was just, you know, I was just giving you a hard time because you were absolutely correct. It is false. So, <laughs> so the, the article that I that I pulled this from said uh, Jobs just thought it, was, it looked cuter, cuter in quotes. So, um, yeah, so maybe it was a subconscious thing. Who knows? So, 
All right, and I'm going to give you a bonus. Actually, I, I I know I said we were done, but this is this is for all the points and the Isle of Misfit T-shirt whenever I get one. Okay. All right. Originally, the logo, the Apple logo, was upside down on the laptops. Bonus points if you can tell me why it changed and when. Because they wanted to be free advertising for when people were sitting around on their laptops for other people. You know what? That is true. That yes, you got it. Because what they the reason they they designed it in a way so if you were looking at your computer and opening it up, the apple was facing you. But once you open it up, it's it was upside down. So if someone you know if it was product placement, right, TV or movie or whatever, they didn't want it to be upside down. So they flipped it sometime in the '90s. So excellent work, Justin Jones. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not in the upper echelons of like. You know, crazy Apple, you know. Oh, I don't know. Some conspiracy theorists up there and stuff, you know. So, but uh, yeah, I'm pretty devoted. So. Well, we believe you now. So you have you've yeah. proven your medal. So congratulations. And like I said, you know that T-shirt's it's a coming in the mail as soon as we all get right. them. So, <laughs> all right. Well, um, Justin. So let's yeah. So moving right along into you know the real reason that you're here to talk about this book reboot um it's it's got a lot of computer terminology in it coincidentally um and it's it's a book dealing about really uh, apathy right in our lives using lots of computer analogies yeah yeah when i i kind of put some notes together about eight or nine months ago and uh was just kind of asking god hey is there something you want me to write you know if i was to write another book what would you want me to write about and I just noticed that a lot of the different notes that I had collected talked about the, the issue of apathy and seeing that um, a lot of it was concepts, a lot of it was, you know, Bible verses, but a lot of it was just observation too, you know, just looking around the church and myself and just the world and just saying, man, you know, apathy is, is something that's there and it's not like it's not talked about. But the thing that really struck me, I think, is that the, although apathy itself is talked about a lot, um, the mechanics of apathy is not talked about. You know, I'm convinced that nobody wants to be apathetic necessarily, um, but often we don't know how to identify it in ourselves because we don't know how apathy actually works, and we don't know necessarily how to take that to God and let God heal it. So that's kind of that's kind of where it started, and um, you know, trying to find some kind of theme that I thought could connect those dots and talking about the mechanics of it. Ended up um, having a conversation with Sean King and uh, one of the other pastors on staff here, and just um, the idea of rebooting and computer kind of imagery seemed to make sense for it. So, mm. well, especially in this age of millennials, which we said we weren't going to yeah. talk about. But, um, uh, but okay, I wanna I wanna back up just a little bit because you talked about you know the mechanics um, of what it is, and you know, interestingly, we're living in an age where words are almost rendered meaningless, uh, meaning that we've yeah, attached true. meanings to to just very simple, basic words. And I won't even mention them because that would be a whole other podcast that maybe you and I could have sometime. But um, I want to talk about the word apathy because when you say it, you know what you mean, and I think I know what you mean, but let's let's break that word. When you say apathy, what are you talking about? Yeah, within the book, I kind of use the definition of it being the absence or the suppression of emotion, excitement, feeling, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's been interesting as I've talked to people, as we have gotten the book together, as I've started some of these conversations, you know, it's not, people don't necessarily, you start talking about apathy and, and people don't necessarily want to admit that that's part of their life, you know, because I think 
when we think of apathy, we just think of somebody that is completely lifeless and emotionless. But in saying that it's the absence of suppression of emotion excitement, um, I'm not necessarily saying that there's no like emotion in our lives, no excitement in our lives, but it's the excitement being for the wrong things. Mm. You know, some of the, I say in the book that there's three areas in which I think apathy can uh, make itself present, whether it's through intentional rebellion, uh, through success or through failure. And I think success can be the most dangerous of those because we can be highly successful and actually have a ton of passion in our life, but that passion is a mis- misdirected passion. So it's an absence or suppression of emotion or excitement for the things of God. And I think that can easily work its way into our life, even if we seem like we're really passionate, fired-up people. Mm. And uh, it makes it really hard to identify, which is why I felt the need to kind of clarify within the book kind of what those mechanics are, because those mechanics can be applied no matter the situation and no matter where we think we are, I guess. Right. And I think that's a really excellent point because there there are a lot of us, you know, running around with, you know, this with what maybe looks like passion or busyness, as we were discussing earlier um, before we started recording, you know, just being crazy busy. And that means my life is purpose. But what you're really talking about is substitutes. You know, we substitute, you know, what is it? I know, you know, this verse, you know, John 10, 10, a lot of Christians know it. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly, um, and we trade that abundant life for, for lesser things, right? And I, and I think that that's at least in part of what I'm getting out of your, your message in this book. Yeah. It's, I mean, other books might use the word idolatry, or the Bible might use the word idolatry, or sin, or pride, or, you know, I think it's, they're all connected in a lot of ways, and um, we like to kind of avoid the fact that apathy is a result of that idolatry or that substitution or whatever it might be. But, you know, I really think that's where we are. And in a world where there's more idols than there's ever been, it seems, um, you know, I feel like we got to be even more aware of the potential for us to have apathy in our lives. Right, right. And when you're talking about idols, what what you're really talking about is, is a belief system, right? It's like we... We idolize based on what we believe, and you, you know, you actually, one of, one, of, one of the takeaway quotes that I got, every action you take and every thought you think from the moment you wake until the time you go to sleep is based on what you believe. So you're really talking about a belief system, and I know you go into a lot about that with, you know, what promises you believe, so talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I, within the book, I, I call these these beliefs, these foundational things we believe, uh, fundamental promises, and I compare it a lot to. I, I tell the story of my son when we're at a water park. Um, and yeah, so I was going to ask you he, about that. Yeah, he doesn't necessarily. Uh, we're at this water park. He's doing all the kids' rides and slides and so all the the smaller rides. But his little cousins are about the same age. They've been there before. They've experienced it. So they go on these really tall. Uh, slides and they're having so much fun and I say, buddy, we got to go up there. So I, I try to convince them that, tell them, hey, buddy, I, I, you know, I got you. This is good. We have our family station at the bottom. You can watch your, uh, your little cousin go down first. Like, daddy's got you. This wouldn't hurt. I wouldn't let you do anything that would hurt you. And so I, I feel like I got him all ready and I start to try to, you know, push him down the slide and he just resists, you know, stiffens up, won't go down. So I, I pull him away and 
we do this a couple of times in a row, and finally I'm like, buddy, do, do you not trust me? Do you not? I was getting frustrated, not necessarily about the slide, but about the fact that he didn't trust me, mm-hmm. that I had his best interest in mind. And um, I finally, he just wouldn't do it. So I finally let him go, and I wasn't even frustrated at him. I was frustrated at the fact of what it represented and how I've experienced it. And I felt like God whispered in my heart, you know, this is how I feel so often with you. And so I used that to to introduce the idea that um, our fundamental promises or the the things we believe are kind of like the operating system of our spiritual life. You know, there's the hardware, which I think, if we don't understand the hardware issue, um, which is what powers our spiritual life, then then none of this really matters. But if we do understand that, then, then the fundamental promises, the things we believe are maybe the greatest determiner of whether we have apathy or not. And uh, recently, within the past couple of years, I've been doing something called Transformational Prayer Ministry here at the church, Transformation Prayer Ministry. And it's a, uh, it's a prayer counseling that gets to the heart of lie-based belief in our lives. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the book is based on Second Peter. And so Peter talks about these lies very extensively. And so, you know, most of it came from that. But a lot of it was kind of undergirded by the, what I've been learning and doing hundreds, you know, over 100 sessions with people over the past couple of years, because what I've noticed in those sessions is that as I simply ask some intentional questions and we try to get towards God's truth, it becomes very apparent how easily a belief system, a lie centered around either who God is or who we are, can determine somebody's entire life. And you know, a lot of times I sit in those sessions and it comes down to a fact where a situation that happened in somebody's life has not allowed them to trust God from that point forward. And I could sit there as long as the day goes and try to convince them and just tell scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture. I could just sit there all day and tell them truth. And they still won't believe it. And the reason is because they're not willing to offer up that lie to God and ask God what he wants for them. You know, only God can really reveal those lies in us at the end of the day. And um, so whether it's trusting God, whether it's, um, you know, trusting that he's good, whether it's knowing who we are in terms of who God is, that we are actually loved and that we can be loved, whatever it might be, those fundamental promises really shape everything we do every single day. And I think that's missing. I think so often we try to fix our spiritual lives by trying to trying to fix the end result instead of trying to come back to the very beginning and say, what do I believe about today? What do I believe about who God is? What do I believe about myself? And how does that then allow me to live out today in a in a tangible way. Yeah, and I think you um, you frame that in terms of, if I'm not uh, mistaken, you know, like the software, okay? You know, these are, are, you know, the programs that we run with without going back to, like you said, the, the operating system, let alone the, the hard drive of, of what are the, what's, you know, what's foundational in our lives. You know, another quote that kind of um, nutshells it a little more, you, you know, you say our lives are run by the promises we believe. And so often... We, we live on that surface, right? Um, whether it's, like you said, living for success, living in rebellion, or living, um, you know, in that, in that other area of just failure and, oh, I'm such a failure. And we stay on that surface. We don't bother to ask why, right? Why, why am I doing this? Why? Because the beliefs that we have exercise themselves, express themselves through choices that we make. And so often we are, we are disconnected from the choices that we make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, if we are to disconnect that, it's really disconnecting the whole way that I think God's designed us to work. You know, it's the if we put it all on that program level, as I talk in the book, or the the action level. You know, and I think that's why so many people come to churches, for instance, or they come to people that they want to hear from, or there's a massive shelf of self-help books within bookstores, is because I think all the people really think that they need to do is just, if I could just get more programs, if I could just get more actions, if I could just fix this, and if I could do it on my own, I start the book with that example in the intro, how I tried to fix a computer one time, and it blew up in my face and it didn't work at all and the whole reason is because I tried to do it on my own and um, I hoped that that would be a theme throughout the entire book too that you know people recognize that this work that needs to be done in us in our spiritual lives to avoid apathy it is a work of God it's not something we can do you know our job we do something but our job is to put ourselves in the position for God to do what he needs to do in us um, because every time we try to fix it ourselves and just try to put it all on that level um, I mean, it can look good for a little while, but it never lasts, and I think that's the dangerous part. Absolutely, and, and, and I think I'm glad you brought this up because I think there is a little bit of a, a tension or maybe a misunderstanding is a better way to put it because on the one hand, what you're saying is absolutely true that we can't behave our way into, into this life that God has for us. We can't behave our way into redemption into salvation into the grace and peace that that is God's work to transform us and yet I think it's it's hard for us to um to kind of reckon that with the fact that yes but but the choices we make do matter and and how do you reckon those things you know somebody's like okay well it's if it's all God then I'm just going to sit here and let him let him do everything and you know that's that's it um so Talk, yeah, talk to, talk to that person who might be struggling with these concepts a little bit. Yeah, I try to tackle it a, a couple different ways. I kind of did it in a more overt way in the second chapter, and then throughout the book I kind of try to tackle it from different angles. But that's really one of the keys of what the book is actually about, that tension between being and doing in our spiritual life. And it's intentionally called Reboot, Becoming a Passionate Follower of Jesus Christ, because the, the route of becoming is, is a key to me. Uh, it's one of the, the three things that we really care about around here in spiritual formation is to discover, become, and engage. And that if we're not becoming more like Jesus, the process of becoming can't just come from action being taken on our own. It has to be kind of a, a connection between uh, the first chapter we talk about, uh, the key verse and, and really the foundation of why I even started writing the book. In Second Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And no matter how many times I tried to shake it, I just couldn't shake that verse when I thought about it. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Um, and then it says, through his great and precious promises. And so this idea of the power being connected with promises. But what's interesting about what Peter does in Second Peter is right after he basically says, it's only by God's power that this can work, and it's only through his promises, it's only through knowing him, can you have any impact in this world and that your life can be what it needs to be? Right after that, he says, then make every effort to add to your faith goodness and add to your goodness knowledge and add to your knowledge self, self-control and, and can, so on and so forth. So he, all of a sudden, is like, you, what's going on here, Peter? You, you just said, I can't do any of this. And then right. he said, make every effort to right. do this. And so that tension is, is a tension I think we can't avoid. But I think it comes down to what the first chapter is about. I, um... 
I talk in that chapter about the hardware of our spiritual life, or um, what I ultimately say that is, is depending on our own power as the source of our potential. And if we depend on our own power as the source of our potential, every time we come up against any situation, whether it be a negative or a positive situation, we'll always be judging it based on what kind of power we have to bring to the table. And if we do that, then we are living a natural life. We're not living a supernatural life. You know, we're not, we're not living in such a way that we would actually need God to be part of our life because every situation we would be facing in our own power to the extent that we are capable. And apathy is inherent in that situation because why would we care about the things of God if we don't think we need them? Mm. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, I think that is where the tension is. What, what it means to have his divine power given us everything we need for life and godliness is to really frame our life in such a way that the hardware of our spiritual life, or how we, how we view our life from the very outset, and this comes down to some very practical situations. You know, what, when we face that situation that should make us worry, in that moment, do we view it with our power being the source of our potential, or do we view it with God's power being the source of our potential, that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness? And if we view it that way, um, then all of a sudden we have become, we, we have allowed being and depending on God's power, so that's taking us out of the driver's seat, not doing something, it's, it's us allowing him to do something in us that allows us to take a step to walk forward into something that we wouldn't otherwise do. That's, when we talk about steps of faith within, within the church, I think that's what we're talking about. It's saying, because I know and I trust and I believe, as we were talking about earlier, that God is capable of doing this, I'm going to take a step to do something that I couldn't do on my own. Right. And then God shows up. And so it's this, this tension and this kind of orchestra, this rhythm of being and doing, being and doing, being and doing, where we start with being and out of that being flows the doing. Um, I, I often give the example of uh, you know being at the grocery store. You know, if, if we're there, if my family's there, and I'm walking with my son Judah, who's four. You know, we might be walking, and sometimes he really wants to push the cart, and so he'll just start when he was little. You know, two or three, he just really no, I can do it, Daddy. I can do it. Okay, all right. So I let him I start this. the cart, and he obviously can't do it. And so it's funny because then I'll I'll just put my hands on the top and I'll kind of hold on to it, and I'll start pushing it, and he doesn't realize I'm doing it. He's like, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Yeah, so he thinks he's doing it, but he's really not doing it at all because I'm the one that's pushing in the right direction. I think that's kind of how it is with God, that when we put ourselves in a position to do it, it's not that we're not doing anything. It's that we are taking a step to do something, but he's the one that's actually empowering that step to actually do it at the end of the day. Yeah, that's a great picture because, yeah, you know, and does God need us to do it? No. And yet he, he you know, he does call us to take steps that I, I think the, the way I'm taking all this in is what I'm hearing you say is this is really about what or who we're agreeing with, right? So yeah. in, in terms of the promises, uh, the promises I make to myself to, you know, provide the life that I think I should have or um, am I going to believe in God's promises, like you said, that, you know, that that second Peter scripture that his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. So am I am I going to am I going to agree with that? And by agreeing with that, it has repercussions, right? If I agree with it, I'm yielding to it. I'm making decisions in line with that. So it affects every choice that I make. Um, 
you know, yielding to it. Um, I love what you said, out of being flows doing. And when you put it in those terms, it really isn't all that much of a, ten of a tension. But I think we are so apt to do, you know, just tell me what to do. Give me the list and I'll do it and I'm done. Well, that takes relationship out of the whole picture, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And we, we will be something. You know, I, I think that sometimes where we get kind of up a little bit too, you know, we think that we sometimes can get, I mean, it's possible to get into a place where we are just doing people and, and we barely spend time to be. But I think on the other hand, a lot of us are being just not being with God. You know, we're, right. we're being with ourselves. We're being a relationship that's important to us. We're being in such a way. We, we will search out those places to fill that empty spot in our heart we need to have filled. Um, it's just a question if we want to put that in place to be with God or to be with the, the idol or the, like we were talking earlier, the idol right. or the sin issue that we feel like we're going to find that fulfillment that we're looking for. Yeah, and, you know, there's no such thing as a vacuum, right? It's going to be yeah. our lives are filled up with, with something, and that's what it comes down to. What are we going to fill it with, and how are we going to get there? And that's that's where the mechanics comes in, and that's, you know, all your your great computer terminology. You know, um, I was thinking, oh, we should have a glossary. You know, I started writing down words, you know, hard drive, software, root user, uninstall, updates. You know, all these, but all these have great implications um, into into realities of, of how we live our lives. You know, another another quote that I love. Let me see if I can find it. I'm jumping all around here. Oh, this, okay. Uh, I am convinced that often we are more than happy to be effectively ineffective. Wow. So tell me what you meant by that. Yeah, so that's in the, the chapter, the third chapter, about the practices of our spiritual life. And um, I talk in that about how in today's day and age, it's, it's not too far from any of us. I talk about how often throughout my own life I have thought that technology was going to help me be more effective, but it's just made me more uh, less less effective in the end. You know, I'll be you know watching a video on YouTube for you know sermon preparation or just you know some kind of pastor that I've, I'm trying to check out or something, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh yeah, commercial for Mentos and soda or you know whatever, or just oh there's just you know, this thing that I should check out over here, and I, all of a sudden you watch 10 different yes. Kittens. videos, and Kitten you're videos. out, like, oh, you're studying about birds in South America, and you're like, how did I get here, you know, and um, I think that happens a lot on social networking, on YouTube, on Facebook, you know, whatever it might be, we think that technology is supposed to help us be more effective, but we become effectively ineffective, and, and what I mean by I think we choose that is because in our practices, if we have put all of the pressure upon ourselves to be the ones that need to do it, that need to make the change, that need to be the ones that it all depends on us, then we will inherently get to a point where we have run out of power. You know, if we don't believe His divine power has given us everything we need for life and Godliness, then that means we believe that our power gives us what we need to be able to tackle life. And honestly, that's a message that is being communicated in almost every venue of every place in the entire world right now. If you listen to the news, if you listen to any kind of media, basically it all is trying to affirm this belief that you are powerful and you are good and you need to take this on. But I think what that ends up doing in the world is that all the time people are saying, yeah, I am awesome, I can go out there and I can do this. 
and then the next day you see them sitting there binge binge watching something on Netflix for you know 16 hours in a row or something, and then they feel bad about themselves and so they get back on it. And there's this emotional roller coaster that we're on. But why we do that is because if we're just basing our own power, we realize that that power runs out. And when that runs out, we just realize we need a break. But we put ourselves in a position to be effectively ineffective. You know, to kind of give ourselves a place where we're not being effective for the things of God because we deserve a break. We deserve a, re- a recharging of ourselves. But we're not doing it the way God intended it to be. And so uh, that's kind of what I was getting at with that. Yeah, I, and it's it's really it's something to ponder because again i don't think we often slow down enough to even think in those terms you know again getting getting to the why of you know why am i doing what i'm doing you know we like to ask the question why why is this happening to me um and we kind of leave it there don't we you know and instead of saying well maybe there's a reason why maybe a choice i made you know either today or yesterday or years ago that led to a you know a whole course of choices over decades have has led me to this point based on what I believe. So going back to that to that main frame, like you talked about, the, the what what is at the core of what we believe because it spills into who we believe we are. And even as Christians, you know, um you talked about this and I, I know you brought up that that famous Romans seven passage, you know, that we can forget who we are too, right? That, and that can lead to being effectively ineffective because here we are, we have this changed nature. No, it doesn't necessarily often, hardly ever happen all at once. That's what sanctification is all about, um, which we can talk on another podcast or people are like, what is sanctification? But, you know, just the idea of changing over time. But um, I think we, we forget that, you know, we're not obligated any longer to to follow a course of belief that we say we no longer believe, right? So if I believe that God is good and I believe that he, he has come to, to, to change my life literally from the inside out, then that gives me hope and the power to make, to, to agree with those changes. You know, um, Acts 20, no, I'm sorry, Acts 17 talks about, um, you know, in him we live and move and have our being. So that's even better news because now it's not like, oh, well, I, I have to just try to be like Jesus. It's like, no, I can let Jesus be in me. I just have to agree with him. It, it's really a question of what is, as you said, what is true or what is the actual reality? Um, because in, in chapter two, that really bleeds into chapter, but I, I talk a lot about what you're saying about Rome 7 and... Um, and Ephesians, you know, talking to Ephesians about taking off the old self, putting on the new, uh, being renewed in the attitude of our mind and putting on the new. And we did a study in a small group I was leading this fall on Ephesians. And um, it reminded me of something that was one of the most things that has ever happened in my life, in my spiritual life. When in kind of high school, college, I finally grasped the fact that I needed to just agree with with what had actually happened in my spiritual walk. You know, the justification, sanctification thing. Mm. Justification can only work when I believe in justification. So sanctification becoming more like Jesus can only happen when I actually believe that justification happened, that I was actually made right with God. And because um, a lot of times, as I talk to people in our own church or just counsel people in general, 
I just find so often that there's this tension where people are constantly saying like, well, yeah, you know, I'm just trying to fight, you know, the, the flesh is really strong right now, and I'm just trying to get the spirit, and, you know, all this kind of stuff where there's always this, always seems like there's this battle between good and, and evil going on in our lives, and we're just trying to manage that battle between good and evil. And I feel like that's how I felt about my life, my spiritual life for a long time, where, yep, I just got to manage this, I got to make sure that the flesh and the enemy don't get me too much, and I just got to get my spirit and God to kind of fight them off more. And mm-hmm. I did never found satisfaction in that, and the reason is because Scripture doesn't say that. Uh, mm-hmm. when, when it says in Ephesians chapter 4 about taking off the old self, which is dead, Mm-hmm. You know, it, it means that that flesh, that, that old person that we used to be, is already dead. It really is gone. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, I thought that that was alive and kicking, and I just had to try to, like, fend it off. Mm-hmm. But when I realized, at the end of the day, that flesh, that person I used to be, those sinful desires and stuff, aren't me anymore. Yes. But my job was basically take that zombie off my back and just keep saying, hey, that's not me and then be renewed by God and the attitude of my mind and then keep putting on the new self to look more like Jesus, it gave me a freedom to just agree with what it was you were saying, to agree with the, the true reality. And the true reality is I'm not a sinful person uh, that that flesh is alive in me anymore. I am a child of God. Um, does that mean I won't sin? No. It just means that when that stuff has happened, I need to, if I'm going to actually have the ability to fight it off, I need to depend on God's power to remind myself that I am not controlled flesh anymore, but I'm controlled by the Spirit, because it's the Spirit of God who lives in me now. So. Yes, and even Romans 7 talks about that, you know, that basically, you know, for all the struggle, you know, I want to do the good, and I can't do it, and I do what's wrong, blah, 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 um, but even in Romans 7, Paul is basically saying that the part of me that doesn't want to do do what's right is no longer the truest part of me. It's It, it may be sin living within me, but the truest part of me is that part that, that has been transformed and changed. And and that's exciting. That's really good news. And I, and I think, you know, we do well to remember that because it does change our trajectory. Um, it You know, again, it starts with what we believe. What we believe results in what we do and what we do results in, you know, in the, in whether or not we're, we're living a life that is truly life or like you said, apathy, just living beneath the passion and the joy that God has for us. Um, oh my gosh, there's so much more I want to talk to you about, but, um, I know you have another life that, you know, or, or the rest of your life, I should say, um, to get onto. Um, but I, I would like to hear a little bit more. You were telling me that, um, this book, uh, it will be available for purchase, and I want to talk about that, but also you mentioned that this will be available on audio. Yeah, so we, when we did the Engage book last year, um, we had had that, you know, we used it in our church, and then also some other um, churches or other people around the country had gotten in, and, um, you know, we used it for a retreat and stuff, so it had been there, but a lot of when I, when I would have people um, talk to me about getting the book, they're like, oh, I'd like to get it for so-and-so, but they're just not a reader. And a lot of times it would be, I, I want to get it for my son, I want to get it for my daughter, I want to get it for my, my nephew or whoever, but they're just not a reader. And um, I always try to give them other options about how they can kind of engage in some of the material. But So this year as we came to it, we said, what's, what's another way that we can kind of just not have that be uh, maybe a hindrance for people? And so we decided to tackle on trying to try to get a um, an audio book done. 
So yeah, just as of today or tomorrow, uh, over the next couple of days here, we should have it up online on Amazon, along with the, the paperback version and the Kindle version on Amazon um, that anybody can get. And uh, we also have some videos that have been produced to use in small groups. And so we'll be using those within our church, but they'll also be available for if any other church wants to use this kind of a small group study or whatever, that we have some, um, some videos that a local company here helped us produce. So. Excellent. And how would somebody get a hold of those videos? Uh, if they want to contact us, uh, they can kind of check out some of the videos on ehwc.org slash reboot. Uh, there's a lot of information there on what we're doing here at this church and, and how we um, are using some of those videos. Uh, but, yeah, if they want to contact us to get a copy of them, uh, we can get uh, an actual copy to another church if, they, if they'd like to use it as a, a whole study. And we can actually resource them with a whole uh, slew of books as well to be a part of that. So. Well, that is all very exciting. Like I said, I, I, I've read the book, but I haven't uh, checked out the video, so I can't wait to check those out. I, I just I can't thank you enough for joining us today, Justin. This is this is good news for people. You know, it's it's hard stuff to kind of dig underneath the surface and get to those whys because it can be a little uncomfortable, maybe even a little painful. But but what a reward to get past that apathy, to get past some of these false things that, that keep us from living the life that God really has for us. And that's the good news. So thank you for sharing this with us. And we would love to have you back whenever you write a new book or you just want to talk about, you know, whatever's on your mind. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And yeah, I'd love to come back anytime, anytime you'd have me. So, <laughs> and we're, uh, we're just hoping that this starts conversations that can free people so that they're just walk forward in freedom. You know, that's the greatest thing. If we could just be fully satisfied in God, what what could happen? You know, how could, how could the world be changed with a bunch of people that are just passionate about God is the, the thing I keep thinking about. So. And those are great thoughts. So on that note, thank you so much, Justin, and God bless your ministry. Thanks so much. Now, Justin is so considerate, he's got you covered, whether you're a Kindle type, a put-the-book-in-my-actual-hands type, or you're into easy listening. And you can find Reboot on Amazon.com as well as EHWC.com slash Reboot for the audio version as well as those cool discussion videos he was talking about. So there you go. Now, on to other important stuff. There's still time to get in on the random drawing of random awesomeness. It's happening on Valentine's Day. And all you got to do to get in on it is subscribe to the IsleofMisfits.com. That's I-S-L-E of Misfits.com. Or get a friend to subscribe, and I'll give you credit for that. And of course, if you enjoy these podcasts, and I hope you do, share them and let me know, and that'll get you entered as well. So stay tuned. Check back on the website on Valentine's Day for the sweet announcement. And until then, own your awkward, love your fellow misfit, and look for beauty and truth everywhere. <laughs>